Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, today we're going to be talking about birth order plus parenting equals learned behavior. Believe me, every one of us can identify with this. You know, it's amazing about birth order because uh, I have two older sisters and they hated me growing up because I was the youngest and I got more freedom than they ever got. <laughs> and so, because by the time I was born, my parents were worn out. And believe me, my sisters wore them out, but I wore them out even more because <laughs> I was hyper and, and still am. And so, what's funny is, is birth order really dictates a lot of our personality. And, uh, you know, if you don't feel like your birth order, you're not, you're not alone also because some people don't like their birth order and don't have the same traits that most people would attribute. So we're not talking necessarily about labels of what a person is going to be. Yes, we're going to identify some of the traits and the symptoms that are often follow in a birth order. But what we're talking more about is just the ingredients that often make up someone. And then in later life as adults, we have to differentiate ourselves from those birth orders because those are prescribed roles in, in a family oftentimes that we get used to and we make them a part of who we are and we're comfortable with it. And so into our adult life, we carry those ingredients, though they may not match our children, our family, our spouse, our friends. And some of those ingredients don't really do well for us. So what this shows about is becoming a little more aware of those ingredients so that we can uh, individuate from them or keep them if they're good habits. But you have to recognize a lot of those things are not who we are. It's who we had to be growing up. You know, 23% of women and 15% of men are a true match to their birth order. So, you know, number one, what we have to look is is temperament. Nothing affects per- personality development more than genetics. Roughly half of our personality is exactly the temperament you're born with. And that's why... Where you fall in your family and how early you had a starting uh, start in the family playing a role is a big part of the ingredient. So, you know, a child's temperament can trump birth order, at least blur uh, the lines. You know, firstborns in particular are expected to succeed at whatever family prizes most. If you're a son, you come from a long line of uh, politicians. So when, you know, you are, you may not be suited for it, but guess what? That is what you may become. You know, if the per- firstborn can't excel at what the family values are, for example, that position could shift to another child. And, and so oftentimes these roles get blurred. Uh, gender is a significant influence when it comes to a birth role that one develops in a family, especially culturally from many different cultures. You know, so so we have to look that a second born could even uh, uh, eclipse the eldest if there's a high value being placed on one gender over another. And so that dynamic can get disrupted. For instance, if the firstborn is a female, maybe in some cultures and in some families and some traditions, the, the, the firstborn daughter is going to be a caretaker for all the rest. And maybe the second born is a son and the son all of a sudden is high, whole, you know, high, high and holy to the family. 
Also, uh, physicality, age and size advantage frequently go hand in hand. So, older kids boss younger ones around because they're bigger. Uh, I remember my sisters bossed me around until I was about 12, and all of a sudden they realized I was just as tall as them and stronger. And so they kind of shifted their role with me at that point, thank God. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if uh, the eldest child or especially robust or middle or youngest, that power dynamic can flip-flop in, in, a, in a family. Uh, a specialness. Um, yes, all children are special, but one child is usually the prodigy. And uh, this tends to get the prime treatment, the favorite of certain parents. And sometimes one's a favorite of the mom and one's a favorite of the dad. And all of a sudden, the parenting gets split into something that's very confusing because values are different for each parent. And so what we have to look at is sometimes even grandparents can treat one child differently than all others. And so, you know, it's amazing that we learn uh, attachment based on how our parents and how our families uh, treat us and look at us. And so uh, sometimes that dynamic uh, puts us in a role that we're very uncomfortable with as children, but we have to accept because we can't change these people. You know, uh, age spacing is also a very big deal because the closer the age intervals are between siblings, the more competition there is. So when kids are too uh, one or two years apart, especially if they're the same gender, there is a lot of conflict. And that doesn't mean they won't be close as they get older. You know, uh, parents are also overwhelmed, which adds to the turmoil because they've got two kids at a very similar age. But closely born second child may overtake the first by being uh, better, faster, or stronger, or their behavior is different, or they have more talents, or they involve more attention-seeking behavior. And so, you know, it all depends on the personality, but genetics, once again, plays a huge, huge role. You know, birth order has a very powerful impact upon children's emotions, their behavior, their personality development. And, uh, you know, the fate of a child is born into a particular spot in the family. And from this position, they have a unique emotional experiences. So each spot in the order has its advantages and it has its challenges. You know, the first child often basks in their parents' undivided love and attention for a period of time and often benefits emotionally from that early experience. And then they emerge feeling loved with a sense of security and self-confidence. And, and this will help them go out into the world and become a responsible leader. So many of our presidents and heads of corporations have been firstborns. However, they also face a really difficult challenges in that spot. Their, their inexperienced, uh, loving parents often have very high expectations. And they want very much for that firstborn to be a success. And so it makes them feel good about themselves as parents as well because they're basically projecting themselves into that firstborn. And as a result, they often micromanage and critique every move the child makes. And it's not uncommon to hear parents say, you know, sit up tall. That's not the way we draw a tree. What? You only got 90, you know, 8% on your spelling test. You know, what happened to the other two points? You know, as a result, firstborns can, can end up feeling really pressured to succeed and become a, a, basically a perfectionist, often equating love with success. You know, a firstborn child experiences terrible feelings of loss when they give up their old crib to a new baby. And, and so stuff like that, we have to understand, is very, very, very important. 
And and so, you know, when they have to give up their own possessions that they may have been attached to, maybe they don't need them right now, you know, some clothing, things that they really identified themselves with and have to give them up to a new baby, they're basically uh, uh, bowing down to their parents just to make sure that they continue to get their love and attention. So they feel jealous because of the special care and attention that this other sibling's getting with their clothes on, with their furniture, with their toys. And, and so that's a very confusing message for, for the firstborn. Also, uh, they're expected uh, because they're generally required to behave better and do more for the family because obviously they're modeling for the second born and the third born. And so there's a pressure on them to be the perfect child. And so they go from being the center of attention with all this love and all this uh, this adoring and all this this stuff. And all of a sudden now they're flipped into this, you got to be responsible just like us. And they're expected also to, to nurture a younger sibling. And that may not be in the cards for them based on their personality. So the experience ability to love and to be sensitive to other people's needs, which is a good thing because it's requiring them to dig deeper. But in, as, as another thing, it's a very confusing message for a child. Okay, the, the second born child benefits from calmer, uh, uh, more self-confident parents, and they enjoy special attention as the baby. They also have the advantage to, of learning from and modeling this this older sibling. And so now they have something to follow, which can be comfortable. And as a result, they may be able to read at an earlier age. But however, the, the, the firstborn may end up getting a lot harsher discipline than the secondborn because their expectation for the firstborn is that their behavior is modeling once again. So the secondborn child often feels really inadequate as they sit on a tricycle and their older sibling is riding a two-wheeler or, or a bicycle. And so, you know, unfortunately, they lack the understanding that the problem has to do with their age difference and their development. And so that is a confusing message for secondborns. And it's always, they're always rushing to catch up to the firstborn developmentally in order to feel that they are valuable. And they also feel jealous because their older sibling is always accomplishing news new things first, such as performing in a play, going to high school, going to school, going to sixth grade, whatever, but, you know, playing sports. Uh, and so these events tend to consume a great deal of their parents' time and attention because the older one uh, is uh, requiring more attention. And so they feel left out and invisible at times. So the second born is often dominated by their faster talking older sibling who tries to maintain their number one uh, position by basically criticizing them and bossing them around. And so the middle child shares the positives of being both a younger sibling and an older one. And they, ha you know, as an older sibling to learn from, which is good, they, they, that older sibling can watch over them. And then they have a younger sibling who looks up to them whom they can nurture. So now we're talking about three children. We're talking about the one in the middle. But as the middle child, they face some of their own challenges. They feel upset about losing their role as a baby and often feel left out and jealous uh, both by their older and younger siblings uh, because they're commanding so much attention. And it's not unusual for one parent to be helping the older child with their homework while the other parent gets the baby ready for bed while the middle child sits alone waiting for attention. And so a middle child 
is extremely competitive with their siblings. They're constantly chasing after the older one to catch up while they're racing to stay ahead of the younger one. And so the middle child has another uh, unique problem that they're not the oldest and they're not the youngest. So they have to struggle to establish their own identity. You know, firstborns oftentimes avoid uh, pressuring you know, it's a good idea to avoid pressuring the firstborn to be perfect and show their unconditional love. You know, reassure firstborns. If you're parenting a firstborn, reassure them that that you have enough love for them and the new baby and your other brothers and sisters. It's important to, to show them pictures and videos of all the care you provided for them when they were a baby and help them obtain privacy when they need to play with a friend or arranging a a play date or a special activity. So it's important for you not to just blend them with the other children and always have them battling within the family to encourage them to speak out about their anger, their jealousy, their emotions. This is something for all children that is very important, that they're free to speak their normal emotions and so they can develop it and develop a communication style with each other that may be somewhat respectful. You know, if you have a second born and you're parenting them, explain to them that they cannot do the same things their older sibling did because they're younger. And they could, you know, they, they over time, their legs are going to get longer and they'll be able to, to ride that bicycle or run or play soccer or do all kinds of different things. But with the second born, it's really important to identify praising their abilities and celebrate their successes just as you would with uh, your firstborn. If you uh, have been very busy with your older child's uh, college or, or, or school, make sure to set up special time for the younger one too. Planning a special day together. putting it, you Put it on the calendar and assure them that they'll have their own special time. You know, you always want to help your younger child to assert themselves uh, with the older sibling and make sure that the older child does not dominate the younger one and that each gets an equal chance to choose the game that they'll play first when they're having to play together. Also, if you're parenting middleborns, make sure to play individual attention to the middle child so they don't feel squeezed out. You know, I, I remember my uh, sister, she was the middle child and oftentimes she was squeezed out because both my older sister and myself were very attention-seeking kids and we were very active. And so my middle sister happened to be more passive and more laid back and so she just kind of blended. And it was sad because she ended up, you know, having her own attention-seeking behavior with her friends. She individuated and she's an incredible woman. Um, but what's amazing is I, I could see now, looking back, how how little attention she happened to get. And uh, and then she was always battling between my sister and myself, and, and her personality just wasn't that assertive. And so she kind of blended. And it, it's, it's tough on her. It was very tough on her. So if you're parenting multiple children, one of the most important ways to help them deal with challenges of their positions is acknowledge the difficulty of each role that they face. And be very helpful to tell the middle one, especially, that it's hard to be the middle child. Identify with that role. And encourage your kids to talk about their emotions. For, for example, you can tell your youngest child, if you, if you ever feel you know, left out or you want more attention, you can tell me. 
I feel left out. I'm angry. I'm always, re- you know, just assure them and, and have enough love for all of your children. You also want to share, if you were in a multiple uh, family where you were with multiple children, share your own birth order experiences with them to help them feel understood. And, uh, you know, it's hard to arrange this, but kids need that special one-on-one attention with their parents. And we're in such a busy day and age that a lot of people are too caught up in their telephones and their in their social media and their work and their problems and their finances and their their poor relationship with their spouse with the, just everything that they just lose touch with their kids and it's so sad to see that you know but by identifying with birth roles we have a natural place where we can meet our kids in the middle there's also uh, damage by narcissistic parenting of children. You know, they, the narcissistic people lack a moral compass or the ability to play, to, to, to act selfless. Uh, narcissistic parents create really horrible havoc and damage in the lives of their kids. And unlike uh, mature parents whose priority is to meet their kids' needs and support their healthy development, respect, and nurture their, their identities, narcissistic parents put their own needs first and do not recognize their children as separate individuals. They're more about how they're seen rather than their children. And so the, the spouses of these narcissistic people suffer excruciatingly, and their children are very vulnerable to that abuse. Um, they're often relatively, the kids are helpless when they have a narcissistic parent. Uh, they're reliant on narcissistic parenting for caregiving. They're, they're susceptible to their parents' opinions, and they're very easy and manipulable targets of these people. So these narcissistic parents tend to um, upside down the parent-child relationship. And so instead of doing consistent, appropriate caretaking and unconditional love, it's beyond their scope. So then seeing those things as responsibilities and privileges as a parent, the narcissist expects treatment from their kids, often turning the adult-child relationship uh, around and parentifying their children. And so in a narcissistic family, it's common that one or two of the children will be targeted by the narcissistic parent to nurture that parent's needs. And so that in itself creates a very different dynamic in a family. All right, we're going to talk more about narcissistic parenting. Birth order, come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Get 
inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, birth order plus parenting equals learned behavior. And it's interesting. I was talking a little bit about narcissistic parenting because uh, people that are narcissistic parents really can mess up birth orders. Uh, They parentify a lot of their children which basically the children feel flattered that they're giving adult responsibilities and they're honored to play a, a special helper role. And, but they're, and it, it's nice that they're getting that attention. They like that initially, but what they don't realize is it's a big violation of boundaries between parent and child. And so uh, their, their uh, experience of childhood gets devalued and they have to now focus their energy on becoming an adult, which becoming an adult is becoming responsible and it's also becoming uh, boring uh, because it is boring to be a parent and you have to be in charge of so many different things. But as children, we just like to play and have relationships. So they lose a lot of their childhood to this narcissistic parent. You know, so the, the, the 
you know, the self-esteem uh, gets dysregulated de- de- and dividing and conquering is a part of what uh, that parent is doing with each child. So each child has a different relationship and they don't necessarily have a good relationship with anybody except for that narcissistic parent. And, and that narcissistic parent has a lot of uh, rules. And so what they generally do is they will flatter and give excessive attention to that, to, to certain and children and praise they'll brag to other people um, and they project themselves on children and and then they devalue them at the same time they start to criticize they start to terrorize uh, they start to blame uh, they shame and, and they tell lies and they gaslight these children and so um, golden and scapegoated children from a narcissistic parent uh, basically are assigned roles that the parent gives the children rather than the natural birth order role. And so they assign the role of the golden child and they assign the role of a scapegoat to a particular children for a whole range of reasons, but all of those reasons have to do with that narcissistic parent. And so, you know, I always say that that there's there, there's two types of people there's parents and there's breeding stock you know and so these narcissists are not meant to be parents but they can breed and that's unfortunate so they breed and they create these children unfortunately they have to raise them and so these narcissistic parents raise children for their own self-interest and that's a very sad thing and that's a different role of birth order and how they assign birth order birth order for them is assigned based on the loyalty of the various children and once again, they they have a lot of extremism in their parentings that they, they that they project on their children. So the children are either bad or good at all times. There's no acceptance of the gray area of a child, which means they're not human. They're objects to that parent. And so you know the the scapegoat, uh, it, they have it the worst. And so their their birth order and their personality based on where they are and based their assigned birth order based on their personality is directed and they get a lot of wrath. And so what the narcissist hates about themselves, they project on that child. And so that child directly and indirectly uh, is is targeted. And so that parent basically just pounds them with all the things that they hate about themselves and their rage is active and it's violent and and it's very volatile and it's a very confusing message for that scapegoat. But oftentimes that assigned birth order that narcissistic parents give is all projections about what the narcissist hates about themselves. It has nothing to do with that child and that damage comes forward throughout life as that child basically has what's called a damaged inner child and so parts of their personality are very childish based on the projections of that narcissistic parent. And so they don't have a lot of ability to develop an emotional IQ because they're always the scapegoat. They're always having to lie. They're always having to deceive because they don't want to be on that narcissistic parent's target list. And so it's a very sad thing when when you do that. But you see in therapy, oftentimes there's the golden child, there's the scapegoat, and then everything in between just kind of stays off the dynamic there. And so if they have multiple children, there's usually two that they really, really strongly focus on. One is the rebellious one that they see, and that's the scapegoat. The other is the golden child. Everything else is, is just kind of there. 
the influence uh, of your birth order is very, very important. So now we're going to go back to just the, the let's just assume that there's there's good parenting or the reasonable parenting and you have birth order. Now, in a fairly normal situation, uh, uh, the firstborn becomes the ingredients of a firstborn is oftentimes they're the leader of the pack. They, they tend to be reliable as adults, they tend to be conscientious or even as children and, and hopefully in their adult life, they carry some of these ingredients, but they don't become a part of who they just, this is all who I am. They're reliable, they're conscious, they're structured, they're often cautious, they're often extremely controlling, and they're often good achievers. So they bask in their parents' presence, which, which uh, you know, sometimes they act like many adults. And so the firstborns are diligent and they want to be the best at everything they do. So they excel at winning the hearts of their their parents and their elders. You know, firstborns as children, you know, they, they, they are oftentimes uh, very uh, uh, cautious and, and naturally manifest a temporary introversion as they get a little bit older. They learn their role quicker than the younger ones do. So they know what roles they have to play if they're going to go to the soccer game of their younger siblings. They kind of know what they have to do, whether they just disappear or go play with other kids or whether they cheer their their sibling on. You know, if you've grown up as a firstborn, your traits are not necessarily lost. Um, You know, so is they want to be sometimes the best dressed or they want to be the, the leader or they want to be the best at everything that they do. And that is how they've learned how to get attention. Also, middle children often feel they left out with, with I'm not the oldest, I'm not the youngest, so who am I? And so they have a hard time uh, establishing their identity later in life because they were left out so much. And so what they tend to do and what the ingredients they tend to have is they're people pleasers. And they're somewhat rebellious, usually under the radar. They, they thrive on friendships outside of the family. And that's where they feel like they have family. They usually have a very large social circle, and they're off, oftentimes the peacemaker. Uh, the, as middle kids, you know, as children, it's the toughest to pin down because they, they play off the older sibling, and they also play off the younger sibling. And so basically, if it's a boy, they may possess uh, some characteristics of the second born, and sometimes just depending on where they're at, but basically they're picking up ingredients off of other children in the family and they're putting those on to see how they can adapt better to the family and how they can get their parents' attention by trying to do what the older sibling is doing. And that's the beginning of and the younger sibling to get attention. And so that is very confusing for them because they really have a difficult struggle in their teenage years on into their life actually establishing who am I as a person. And so oftentimes that middle child is is kind of mediocre in many ways, but they're also extremely friendly. Now, if they're the last born, youngest children tend to be the most free uh, spirited due to their parents' increasing laziness and the attitude towards parenting. You know, they're just sick of it. And so they tend to be the last born tend to be fun loving, uncomplicated. Uh, they can be very manipulative because they have a lot of freedom. They are outgoing. They're often attention seekers. They're often self centered, 
and so those last born children uh, can be very, very uh, difficult because they have a tendency to individuate early because they can make up their own rules because their parents are too tired to deal with them. And so oftentimes they get they do extreme things. And basically, by the time they've they've been caught doing those things, their parents are like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? To, how did I create this monster? <laughs> so last borns tend to get no attention oftentimes, and they tend to get lots of attention because of the things that they do. Now, only children is a very unique position in a family. And without any siblings to compete with, the only child basically monopolizes their parents' attention and their resources, not for a short period of time, but forever. So this makes the only child something like a firstborn, a super firstborn. They, they have the privileges and they have all their parents' support and expectations on their shoulders. So they tend to be mature for their age. They tend to be perfectionists. They tend to be very conscious. They tend to be diligent. And they also can be leaders at times. So for only children... Um, they basically, they, they when they reach adulthood, they not only necessarily shed their need to be a model human beings, but they're able to run, you know, uh, do an, a five-minute mile or cook a seven-course meal without a cookbook. They tend to be a little more uh, uh, well-developed as adults. However, uh, their, their immaturity and their selfishness, because they had all of their parents' attention, tends to give them few tools to be a good parent. And so they may grow up being a great uh, child and they may turn into a great adult, but they oftentimes have very poor parenting skills and that has to be kind of learned in their adult life. And if they can accept that and go, you know, I, I, I didn't ha- learn how to, to parent multiple children. I was only parented by myself. They, if they can submit themselves to the process of having to learn to be a parent, they can often be better parents than the ones that were modeled uh, as children with when you, where you had two parents. Because every generation of parenting is different based on where we are as a society and as our development and as our technology uh, grows. Now, blended families... You know, in case of divorce and remarriage, the, the, the melding of, of children and stepchildren can be very, very difficult. You know, firstborn children who used to be the leader of the pack may find themselves thrown off the top of the hill. Step sibling and the youngest of the, of the family may have suddenly have to deal with, with all the attention uh, that, as the new baby. And so, you know, when you have blended families, that can be extremely difficult for the children. What's important to remember is the biological parent should be the one that, that performs the discipline, never, ever the step parent. And, and the other thing is you're going to have to continue to parent your children differently with the values in which you raise them because as they're older children, if they're older children, most values are taught before you're 10 years old. So if you have children after that and you're trying to raise them together, what's very important is you continue with the value systems that they were raised with. Otherwise, you're beginning to give them a very confusing message. But, you know, despite a child's new position in a blended family, uh, they are not going to tailor their existing personality to the new position unless they're still in infancy. So what you have to understand is you cannot take away from them 
because they've already learned their role in the family. And, and so now what you're doing is you're going to have to understand if you had two firstborns and they're blended into a, a, a new family, you're going to have to treat them similar to what they were before. You can't take away from them. You want to continue to give them that kind of energy because their personality is not going to change. It's who they are. It's how they were born. And you have to treat them as the individual they are rather than what you want them to be in this new family system. You know, you know, if you have uh, families with twins also, that is a very unique uh thing because that is a very independent birth order. A twin will never act like the middleborn. They're always going to act like the firstborn or the baby. You know, twins are perceived as a single unit, like they're they're often referred to as the twins. And so they separate themselves from the traditional family and revel in their special position as the twins. So twins oftentimes play a very different role because they have a very, oftentimes a a very uh, symbiotic relationship where they kind of understand each other non-verbally and verbally. And so sometimes twins are opposites. Sometimes twins are great together. Sometimes they're their own person. It all depends. But they're still twins and they were still born on the same day or very similar. And so uh, that can be a very confusing thing. The other thing is gap children. Gap children in a birth order, that means they're, they're maybe five, six years apart. And then you have a newborn. So if you're eight years old and then there's a newborn, that can be, you have to understand, you're basically raising two different children in two different times in their life, and they're both firstborns. Um, You can't begin to make the eight-year-old become uh, real engaged with the new baby uh, because they're eight and they're at a stage where they're supposed to be individuating. And so you can't treat them as if they're supposed to have this special bond with the new baby. Oftentimes they're not going to. And so those two children may have a great relationship as people, but oftentimes they're not going to be able to relate to each other because they can't even play with each other. And so it can be a very confusing thing when you have gap children. And so as a parent, you really need to focus on giving attention to both in a very special way. And we're going to talk also, uh, you know, adoption. Adoption also can create a lot of guilt on a family. So they, they feel that child is isolated. And so oftentimes they'll give the adopted child more more time and more care than they do their biological children because that adopted child is basically they see their loneliness. They see they have guilt and shame for the way that they 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 were basically given up by their parents. And so the parent feels a different kind of bond with that child than they do with their biological. And that also can be very, very confusing in birth order for children. All right, we're going to talk more about this influence and then we're going to talk about other factors and we're going to differentiate those roles and we're going to talk about the uh, ghost child and and once again adopted children and and all kinds of different behavior that comes out of the birth order come back Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. 
Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. We all experience grief and loss. It's not something most people like to talk about, but these topics do need to be discussed. On Let's Talk About Grief, host Addie Anderson speaks to both professionals and individuals about grief, death, and personal loss. You'll hear the important topics, the personal and professional outlooks, and learn how to prepare yourself and loved ones when the need arises. Listen Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about birth order and parenting equals learned behavior. You know, um, we're just talking about adoption. And and it's just amazing that if you were, let's say, the firstborn and you're an older child that gets adopted, and then all of a sudden there's another firstborn in the new family that you're in and – what are you going to do? Well, you have to understand that if you're going to be an adopted child, you're, you're, you're going to be your own person. And so you don't want to necessarily uh, lose that firstborn uh, personality or you know, role that you had. But what you want to understand is how well are your parents able to adapt to that personality. And so parents have to, to really look at that adopted child and consider where they were born in a family and, and, and what role they had before they came into your family. Uh, oftentimes, parents have this image that the adopted child kind of owes them something because they basically are, are new to the family and now the parent is taking the responsibility of raising them and providing for them, giving them room and all that crazy stuff. And so they have these heavy, heavy expectations on the adopted children. And oftentimes in the first year, the adopted child is the golden child, which can be very confusing to the biological children. And then all of a sudden they kind of become 
maybe the enemy or maybe they come some their expectations aren't being met and so they're disappointed so adopted children can often be treated different than the biological children sometimes they they are brought into a family just to be the playmate of the other children uh, and so that is a terrible thing to do but people do it and and so what they do is they bring this adopted child in like a puppy and they think that that's going to satisfy the other children but what it, they don't realize is the other children have to lose attention by this new adopted child and so there's going to be a power play in there as parents we have to have foresight about stuff like this and recognize how to blend these kids together and oftentimes there's only certain places you can blend them together if you have one a daughter that likes girly things and a boy that likes boy things you're gonna have to parent them differently but you go, you owe them equal time and that is important the other thing is, uh, you know, if you look at recent studies, siblings may be the, the very keys, players, informing uh, the other children's personality. And, and so peers have a magic touch because they're very close in age to the other children. And so by them being in very similar ages, their behaviors tend to, to rub off on each other. And so Sometimes personalities of siblings and how they treat each other uh, have a very strong uh, uh, influence on the development of the other children. And so, you know, through peers and siblings and genes and circumstance, all of these play a role in how a temperament develops. And so the parents still are the major influencing factors because truthfully, the first year of life is the bonding period for the primary caretaker that impacts upon the self-confidence, the trust, and the ability to interact with another person. And so now, whether this, uh, whether or not this primary caretaker is actually the biological parent it is negligible. It's, it's really important in that first year of life that safety and that bond is very strongly built with all of the family. And so when you bring a new baby in, it's important that all the children get a chance to bond with the baby. Don't just protect them from everybody. Let them have a relationship with their sibling. And the more that you do that, the better that the family blends together and each person plays some strong roles. You know, personality is not necessarily fixed. And so if you are a attention-seeking youngest child, you know, you have to understand that you're going to have to play a more responsible role in your adult life. So, you know, make a connection with your behavior as a younger child in the birth order that you were and in the family hierarchy. But, but always understand that there is neurotic features that you have to identify and go, I don't need that in my adult life. You know, identify how you felt as a child and how you were treated as a child, you know, and, and deliberately change your behavior that doesn't fit your adult life. And so that means making peace with your adult life and making peace with the role that you have in your adult life and, and the way you're blending into society and blending your family together. You know, it's important that to understand the key ingredients. Uh, so for, for instance, we're going to go back over this again. Firstborn children are usually achievers. They're serious. They're a jack of all trades. They're perfectionists. They're, they're, they're the parenting guinea pig, so a lot of mistakes are made on them. They're usually organized or conservative. They have some leadership skills because of their natural place and birth. 
and they're cooperative. They're often ambitious. They're goal setters. They're often logical, and they're often very aggressive. And now, second child is usually more competitive because they had to compete with the the first child. They want to overtake the older child, and they may try to rebel, and they may try to stand out. Middleborn are usually also competitive, uh, rebellious. They easily bounce off of situations. They're more resilient. They're more sociable. They're more friendly. They're more outgoing because they have to get their attention elsewhere. They're usually a little more laid back. They're usually a better, more logical mediator. Uh, they're usually, they have more common sense. Um, they often are a, a floater where they fit in anywhere. And they're often secretive. They're often very secretive and much uh, keep to themselves. Lastborns are usually charming. They're usually affectionate. They're usually uncomplicated. They're entertaining. They want to contribute to the world. They, they have an I'll show them attitude. Uh, they're often tenacious, engaging, and they're people-oriented, and they can be manipulative. And so these are factors that we have to understand. So what are the other factors in birth order is spacing, and that is the gap between each one. So that has to be considered. And also the sex of each child. For example, if, if, if uh, the first girl uh, is the firstborn female and then the boy is the lastborn from, uh, in the family, there can be disadvantages between those roles because they really can't relate to each other very well because there's a span between both of them. I know that my sisters hated my guts as a kid because I used to narc them off on everything. But the biggest thing is is that older, as we got older and as we blended, we've become so much closer. And my sisters are more like my mother in this day and age. Um, but you know, because they they're mature and, and they're in a stage in life where they they are much more compassionate, and all the things that we did as children are, are less important. You know. It's very, very uh, important to understand that Alfred Adler uh, developed a term called a ghost child. And and they're basically born um, after the death of the first child. So parents may become, if you have a firstborn or a child that died and then you have another child, that that, that other child, the ghost child and the, so parents become overprotective and they exploit and and you know uh, rebel against the feeling of being compared to an idolized memory that this child has a very complicated growing up because they're projecting the child that passed into this new child that is replacing this old child and so that is a very complicated thing for the child to understand do you really love me or do you just love the one that died before me and you're projecting that love onto me that can be a very confusing thing and we as people as we develop into adult life have to understand and accept that that we hope that everyone that raised us and were our parents loved us in some way uh, through all of their flaws but as a ghost child that carrying into adult life can be extremely confusing uh, for for a child because they don't understand necessarily where the attachment is coming from and that plays a very strong role moving into their adult life they have a very strong uh, uh, they have an inability to trust sometimes uh, moving into their adult life, trusting in the feelings that people are really project- projecting on them. So, um, once again, let's talk about middle children. They often get uh, left into the, in the, into the shuffle, and they basically, their birth order 
creates um, a, a lot of problems that we as parents can really overcome. Number one is we want to re- reassure that child. And we also want to um, let them know that, hey, I wasn't as good a parent as I can be to you now that I wasn't with our firstborn. So, you know, they have an advantage that you've learned how to be a parent. And so it's important for them to understand that you're not going to treat them the same as the firstborn because you made so many mistakes on the firstborn. And that doesn't mean the firstborn is flawed. It just means that you have to parent differently based and make corrections based on the way you parented the first. And uh, middle children often feel like they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And so uh, they, they feel like, uh, what do I have to do to get my parents' attention? And so once again, if you're parenting a middle child and you don't want them to be mediocre, what you want to do is pay attention to them, spend special time with them, encourage the differences of their personality from others, don't do hand-me-downs all the time with them. Make sure that they have a chance, especially as they get into 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Their clothing is their identity. And so don't don't give them all these hand-me-downs. Let them have their own style. And you may not agree with it, but you want to enhance that because they're trying to establish their identity. And as parents, capture your memories with your middle children. Don't just rely on what you did with your first child. Also, let's go back to the scapegoat because, once again, in mental health, oftentimes we get the product of scapegoat parenting. And so one of the most important of the personal assessments we can give ourselves is to quickly understand how was I parented? Was guilt used often with me? Was I treated as an object? Um, Was I treated uh, with a lot of criticism Was I given a lot of praise and then given a lot of negativity praise when I did what my parent wanted and then negativity on the other hand when I didn't? Um, Have to do a real strong, the the scapegoat has to do a real strong sense of of, uh, self-definition and define what qualities they have as a person and do they project those qualities on their children? Because oftentimes the scapegoat will feel like now I have no rules to follow. I have my own rules to follow. And oftentimes what they end up doing is what they're used to, which is what their narcissistic parent did, which is treat them black and white. And so it's very important for scapegoat identities to identify, hey, I was a scapegoat. I was treated like an object as a kid. And now I need to go, who am I as a person? And, you know, the easiest way for a scapegoat to move through some of this, and I I say this a lot of times, is understand the identity of of God and of Christ and let them live through us, Use, use their values to help us individuate who we are so we can give back to society and try to reflect their nature, the nature of God, nature of Jesus through us and to other people so that we can help other people and stop living within the anger of what scapegoat identity will do. You know, it's very important to have a mentor of some something you can follow that's good that will help you identify who you are as a person and then and use that is the way to discover your own personality you know it's important to to be empathetic with the idea of 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 having been with yourself of having been a scapegoat 
and not use your empathy as a recognition of what others are feeling, but the ability to mirror that back to other people. Empathy is something that, that scapegoats often lose because they're so angry. And so they forget to think about empathy. And empathy is an emotion. If they can if they can really reach down and get into that empathy, what they often do is peel off the costume of having been a scapegoat and become a better person. Empathy with other people and then empathy with themselves. All right, that's our show. Next week's show is Histrionics, Attention-Seeking Nutballs. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or my website, drgbmft.com. I'm currently speaking, uh, doing uh, speaking engagements, teaching engagements, conducting intensive coaching for marriage, pre-marriage, and individuals in person or over Skype. So if you want to, uh, please contact me at www.drgbmft.com. Now remember, you know the magic of Christmas is over when you get a microwave and your sibling gets an Xbox. (laughs) One of the worst Crisis moments, I remember, is when my older sisters told me I was adopted and they opened the Encyclopedia Britannica to show me my birthplace was the Taj Mahal. And I cried and cried. (laughs) Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.